0: your Bibles I want you to take them to Matthew chapter number 15 and as you're standing our children can make our way to uh, their way to children's chapel Matthew chapter 15 and look at verse number 29 Matthew 15 and verse number 29 For the past few weeks we've been looking at the feasts of Jesus we've been feasting with Jesus. And although we've not spread a table and all gathered around to eat physical food, God has helped us. He is speaking to us and feeding us. Through these feasts. And so I want all of us to look at these, uh, these feasts as we continue on. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 29. Matthew 15 and verse number 29. We'll read down through verse number 39. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And a great multitude came unto Him, having With them, those that were lame, blind dumb maimed and many others and cast them down at jesus feet and he healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak and the maimed whole, and the lame walk and the blind see they they glorified the god of israel and jesus called his disciples and said unto him uh, and <coughs> disciples unto him and said i have compassion on the multitude Multitude, "...because they continue with me now three days, and I have, and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way." His disciples say unto him, "...whence should we have uh, so much bread in the wilderness, as to fill so great a multitude?" And Jesus said unto them, "...how many loaves have ye?" And they said, Seven, and a few fishes." And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and break them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full and they that did eat were four thousand men beside women and children. And He sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm not preaching the same message that I did last week, if that's your concern. We're not going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. Have you, do you know there's a feeding of the 4,000? I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but a lot of people don't know that there are two instances when Jesus fed a multitude, one 5,000 and one 4,000. But I think there is A very important lesson in this meal and what we see in the feeding of the 4,000. And I want to call this one a mountain feast. If you'll notice back in verse number 29, and Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain. Let's call this the mountain feast. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. God, I thank you for your grace and mercy as was sung a, a moment ago. Uh, when we look at the freedom that we have in Jesus, when we look at the blessings that you've given us, all, can, all we can say is, how can this be? How can you give us these things? Father, we are so thankful for your Son. From him come manifold blessings upon all of our lives, of all, all of society, all of this world have blessed, been blessed through Jesus Christ but us specifically to know Him as Savior. Lord, we experience that blessing. And Father, we, as we've been looking at these feast meals, God, I pray You'd bless us even more. As we look into this very similar instance as we did last week, yet I find, Father, there's new truth. There's great truth to be found for all of us here in this passage. So, Father, I pray You'd speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit of God, enable me, help me. God, I pray you'd draw us to truth. I pray that you'd bring us from low-lying valleys of conflict and difficulty and pain and suffering to bring us to higher ground, to take us to the mountain, Father, and let us see Jesus like we've never seen Him before. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. A lot of my life has been lived underneath the shadow of the mountains that surround us at this very moment. Any time we travel up north or out west, I I tell people jokingly I, I don't have, I don't like all this land this flat land around me because I get disoriented. I have to have mountains beside me to keep me propped up and keep me right. Flat lands just scare me. Amen. I have problems. I get disoriented, but mountains I feel good. They uh, they, they keep me oriented. Many times we take for granted the beauty and the majesty of the mountains we live around. You know, there are people that come from all the world to see the mountains that <coughs> with, for which we call home. or mountains surround us uh, all the time. People have always been intrigued by mountains and drawn to them. How many of you know, at this day and time, there's a lot of people that are getting into rock climbing and mountain climbing and, and climbing these mountains and enjoying the beautiful sights from these mountains, whether it, whether it is for the breathtaking views of the valleys below or or the cooler climate in the elevations uh, or seemingly bringing them closer to God. Many people find mountaintops as a source of relaxation and strength. If you'll recall our text from last week, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. And in the end of that account, we're told that Jesus went up into a mountain to pray. So because of that, we can deduce that the feeding of the 5,000 came in a valley-type situation, a lower land level. But here, when we look at the feeding of the 4,000, It tells us that Jesus took them up into a mountaintop. Thank you, Allison. Appreciate that. Up into a mountain. Here we have a different scene than from the feeding of the 5,000. They're up into a mountain. So what are we to make of this mountain feast? What's it saying to us? Brother Ronnie, you're just going to preach the same message that you did last week. And that 'd be easy to do. We could take almost take last week's outline last week's message and just lay it right over the top uh, of this one and it'd be easy, but I believe there are other aspects of this feeding that can speak to our hearts. You see well, just as individuals seek to spend time uh, uh, spend time on uh, and, uh, and moments on physical and geological mountains so do uh, we look for spiritual mountaintop experiences. Have you ever heard of a spiritual mountaintop experience? You know, I remember uh, growing up as a child, and we'd go to this little church on Sand Mountain. It was up on top of the mountain. And I remember at prayer time, before we go into Sunday school, a uh, brother would get behind the pulpit and say, anybody got any prayer requests? And I remember people getting up during that prayer time and saying, Y'all, pray for me. I'm going through a valley right now. I'm going through a time of difficulty. Now, they were, they were up on a mountain. Their elevation was way above the valley below. No, they, were, they weren't talking about physically being in a valley. They were talking about a spiritual valley. Uh, elevation-wise, the man was standing on top of a mountain, but in his spiritual life... He was in the lowest of valleys. There are also those mountaintops, just like we can be in the valley. Be in a time of difficulty, time of need, a time of problems down in the valley. There are also those high times. Times on the mountaintop. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but I sure have. I've been on times in my spiritual walk with the Lord and on mountaintop experiences where I feel like I could almost reach out and touch God. Times in which I felt like when I prayed, I was whispering into his ear. Time in which God's joy overflowed within. Times in which when I walked through life, I felt like I was bumping up to Jesus on every step. Those are mountain times. Mountaintop experiences. Times when God is so close. Man, I want to live on the mountain. I want to be on the mountain, don't you? Well, the truth of the matter is, we're not always on the mountain. It seems like in life many times there are more valleys than mountains. But here, in this text, God's calling us to a mountain. He's calling us to a mountain of His feasting, a mountain of His provision, a mountain of His touch, a mountain of His miracle power, a mountain of His very presence and authority. He's inviting us to go there. You may be in a valley right now. And this may address your need. You may be on the mountaintop. And this may magnify your need. But whatever your state is, I want you to see this mountain face. And we're going to draw out three characteristics of the Lord Jesus that pull us, that call our attention to this mountain. Boy, you ever looked at a mountain and say, boy, that's a pretty rock formation. I wish I was standing on it. It's almost like the mountain draws you. It pulls You, you want to climb up and be on that mountain. I think mountain climbers, you look at those, they've got a movie out now about them climbing the Mount Everest and you talk about just wow, I mean just awful weather and winds blowing, danger on Everest and something drives these men. I've got to get to the top of that mountain. I want you to let the Lord Jesus call you. Come on up on this mountain. Come to this mountain. Find me on this mountain. See characteristics of Jesus that call us to this mountain. Notice first of all, the first characteristic of Jesus we see is the Lord's restoration on the mountain. The Lord's restoration on the mountain. I know we're talking about a feast, but this feast has an unusual environment. It's on a mountain. And you know, when we come to the point in our text, Jesus and His disciples had just come through the region known as Decapolis. You ever heard the word decimeter? Decimeter, des, is a, is a, a prefix that indicates Ten. Decapolis, capolis indicates cities. It's a region of ten cities all closely together. When Jesus and his disciples, when he leads them and departs and goes up this mountain, he's leaving behind these ten cities that he's been no doubt ministering in day by day. These disciples, they come through. If you'll read the, the chapters previous, these disciples had come through a lot. You remember after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus constrained His disciples to get in a boat to go across the other side, to fuse His crowd that was going to make Him king. And Jesus went up onto a mountain to pray. Do you remember what happened next? The disciples out on the sea. It came that late hour, the third watch of the night, the storm came, the winds blew, the disciples thought they were going to drown, and here comes Jesus walking on the water. You remember that scene? gets in the boat, calms the winds and waves. Immediately they're at the shore after that. You see, they'd come through some storms before they got to this mountain. The disciples also had come through some conflicts. If you'll read earlier in chapter number 15, there was some conflicts. The scribes and Pharisees met Jesus not long after the feeding of the 5,000, asking, demanding, Why do your disciples not wash in the tradition of the custom of the people of God? There was a conflict between uh, Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees over the washing. It doesn't mean the disciples didn't wash in, they just didn't follow the meticulous nature of the law of man. You ever had somebody put the law of man on you? You ever had somebody try to take the Bible and make it, and, and, and twist it and contort it and make it a law of man to put on top of you? that's what was happening there was conflict jesus resolved with his disciples this conflict then there was also controversy just prior to this leading up to the mountain jesus was met by a canaanite woman who asked for a prayer to be answered she was a canaanite she was a gentile jesus addressed her concern listen i, I why should i take the bread for the children and give it to the dogs the gentiles and she said, Well, the dogs, you know, don't they, deserve the, uh, don't they deserve the crumbs for the master's table? And you see, the disciples have been through controversy. This was, this was very controversial what Jesus did. What I'm trying to say is, these disciples have been through a lot 10 cities. Uh, they've been through storms, they've been through conflicts and controversies. And now Jesus is saying, Hey, it's time to come apart. It's time to come apart. Matter of fact, if you read uh, uh, around in this text in the gospel, uh, in this text in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus refers to his disciples to come apart. I believe it was Vance Havner that says, "If the disciples don't come apart, they will come apart." Oftentimes, we need a respite, a time of rest. We've been we've been laboring in the valley. We've been going through problems in the valley, and Jesus is calling. Hey, it's time to go to the mountain. It's time to leave the valley behind. It's time to leave the conflicts behind. It's time to get some spiritual nourishment. It's time to go to the mountain. I hope every time that you come into this building and we open up the Word of God, the bread of life, I hope you see it as a time when we sit on the mountaintop with Jesus and He speaks to us and He teaches us. Here's an opportunity to have a mountaintop experience. Jesus is calling His disciples to that mountain. And, and they had come to this time. A time of restoring was necessary for them. Notice first of all we see the leading of Jesus. Just as many do today, Jesus, uh, just as many do today, Jesus led this multitude for rest on this mountain. You see, we a lot of people vacation. You know, they always say you're either you either go to the beach, or you go to the mountains, and that and that how it goes when it goes to vacation. You go to the beach or the mountains. I, I'm am kind of a mountain person. If I want to relax, I like to get up in the mountains, find me a little cabin up there, give me uh, stow me away in Gatlinburg somewhere in the mountains where it's all pretty and beautiful and and all of the rocks and the streams. That's where I. That's why I find peace. And just like people resort on mountains today, Jesus is calling His disciples, hey, come on up into this mountain. Come to this mountain and, and take some time apart. Take some, take some rest. We can also see Jesus is that good shepherd. That great shepherd uh, leading his flock. Notice in verse number 29, Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them all the lame and the blind and the dumb and the maimed and many others. Notice Jesus like a, like a shepherd leading a flock. He's like a shepherd leading them from the valley. You know. You know uh, yes, there are those times when Jesus leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. But I want you to know that He does take us up to that table land. Remember when in Psalm 23 where, where the psalmist said, uh, He spreads a table before me in the presence of mine I enemy. Mean, you know what He's talking about? He's talking about that table land. Up on the mountain, there's oftentimes on the mountains there'll be a flat area like a plateau, a plateau on the mountain, and there'll be a grassy area. And and the the shepherd will take his sheep up on the mountain top and be able to gre- breathe that good air on the mountain and, and eat that good grass on that higher plain, that higher land. We sing it here. Lead me on to higher ground, don't we? Here, Jesus is leading them to higher ground. And the text goes on out of its way. And look at what it says. And Jesus departed thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went up into the mountain and sat down there. It goes out of its way to say he sat down there. Jesus is like a king on a throne watching over his subjects. There is Jesus presiding over this mountaintop moment, this mountaintop feast as the sheep feast on the grasses of the table and so they do so under the watchful eye of the shepherd, ever vigilant to watch for the enemy. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is bringing them to the mountain and He's overseeing everything. He's, all, he's conducting everything. He knows what they need. He knows they need time apart. And He is authoritatively watching over them. There's a peace on the mountaintop. Peace on the mountaintop. I'll never forget some of the places I went to in North Carolina. Somebody took me to an over, overarching peak on the mountains of Pisgah National Forest and, and we went off and there was a beautiful ledge there and I, I stayed there until the midnight came the darkness of the night we saw the sunset and the darkness of the night in there and I'm telling you it was so peaceful you could barely hear a honking driving car you couldn't hear nothing just the, the sound of the wind uh, whispering through the trees I mean it was peaceful on that mountain here Jesus is calling us to a peaceful mountain a place to rest on top. What I'm trying to tell you is that if you will just keep following Him, you'll find the mountain. You may be going through the valley right now. It, it may be difficult. You're facing storms and conflicts and controversy and all of the difficulties down in the valley. But I want to tell you something. If you'll keep following Him, He'll lead you to a mountaintop. I've seen it time and time again in my own personal life. And I'll have my, I'll have my feel of the valley. I'll be, I'll be coming apart at the seams. I'll be ready to throw up my hands and quick and somewhere along the path of following Jesus and obeying him and persisting and being faithful. He'll lead me to a mountaintop. He'll lead me to experience where, where God will send the right message or the right word or the right song to my heart and God will get real again. I'll see him on the mountaintop and I'll be ready to go back down the valley. Listen they had not followed Jesus, if they had not followed behind Him, they would not found this mountaintop. It's a place where you and I will recognize Him as in complete control, as in authority and complete control and also providing for us as we see all through all through this, this account. Oh listen, there's the leading of Jesus. Are you following Jesus? Because I want you to know He knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's not unfaithful to not know your needs and your problems and your difficulty and how you're about to fall apart. Listen, keep following. He's going to take you to a mountaintop. Mountaintop. Notice also the leading, not only the leading of Jesus, but the healing of Jesus. Look at verse number 30. The latter part of verse number, number 30. And those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others... And cast them down at Jesus' feet and healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb speak and the maimed and the whole and the lame to walk and the blind to see, and they were uh, they glorified the God of Israel. It was on this mountain just prior. It was on this mountain just prior to this feast that Jesus healed many of them. You see, many of them made it to the mountain but some just barely. Some of them had to be carried. Some of them had to be dragged. Some of them had to be led by the hand through the difficult path up on top of the mountain because some of them were lame. Some of them were hot. Some of them were blind. Some of them couldn't see. Some of them couldn't couldn't speak. See, they were in a broken condition. Uh, Now, I want you to know that these people had real disabilities, real deformities, real detriments that Jesus miraculously and wondrously healed. Get that in your head. This scene actually happened. There were people that followed Jesus by the multitudes and they had their blind friends and their lame sons and daughters and they were bringing them to Jesus and sitting in front of their, His feet and asking Jesus to heal them. And it says that He healed them all on this mountaintop. It really happened. And I believe God still has the power to heal The power of to heal is not given in any person's hand. We don't have healing lines where I place my hand on on anybody's head and say be healed. I got a a dentist I got to go to. I got a dentist I go to and every time I'm there he knows I'm a preacher. And so after every dentist appointment where I'm cleared and have no cavities, unlike my wife, I have no cavities. He takes his hand and puts it on my forehead and mockingly says you're healed. (laughs) The truth of the matter is I can't do that. About as far as I can take it, is I can anoint your head with oil and I can pray as hard as I can. I can gather all the people around and pray, but only God can heal. And He still can heal. He still can change people's lives and their physical condition. And no doubt, I don't diminish that one bit, but I do want to take the spiritual application from this. This morning, are you dumb? I'm not talking about your intelligence. I'm talking about your ability to speak. And I'm not necessarily talking about the, uh, the physical uh, throat that you have. I'm talking about, has something happened to take your shout? Has something happened to take your words of praise? Has something happened to take your witness, your testimony for Jesus? Have things happened in your life that stole your glory out of your mouth? The words that you can say about the Lord Jesus have something come along and taken your shout and it's all gone. It's been a long time since you stood up in church and testified about the goodness of God and how God's been good and blessed and, I, and I, you know, about the only thing you can get is a holy grumble at church. What about, what about your testimony before an onlooking and lost world? Have, have your, have your, has your mouth gone silent when it comes to those dying and going to hell around you? Do you need Jesus to open your mouth again to praise God? What about the songs of Zion? Out of your mouth only come the latest hip-hop jazz tune coming off of the radio, the greatest country ditty on the radio. But truth of the matter is we've got to have a song for the Lord in our heart. Something's taking it. Something's stolen out of your mouth. Here, Jesus is giving back people their voice. He's giving back people their song. He's giving them back their shout. At the end of this, I glorified God. Is He tell you something taking your shout? Maybe it's more than that. Over the, over the years, you find it more and more difficult to just put one foot forward, run one foot in front of the other. You've been coming to this church a long time, sitting on these pews. You've been dealing with that job a long time. And now the truth of the matter is, I can't keep going. I just want to give up. I can't take another step. You're lame this morning. No, not physically. You didn't come in on a wheelchair, on crutches. But the truth of the matter is, in your home, in your marriage, in your job, in your church, in your Sunday school class, in your spiritual walk with the Lord, you can't take another step. I want you to know Jesus is calling. Come to the mountain. Come to the mountain. There's restoration. There's restoration. I'll give you a walk back. I'll give you feedback. You can leave that mountain and say, you know what? I think I can take another step or two. I think I can go a couple more My, So you're lame. Oh, what, about, what about let Jesus lead you out of the valley onto the mountain? What about your strength? What about your strength? Do you need more strength in your body? What about your vision? Vision. Notice there were blind people in here. And I praise God for the one day when our sister Sharon, the dear blind woman that attends our church, I'll be glad for that great, great glorious day when God opens her eyes physically in in heaven. But the truth of the matter is, many of us in our spiritual life, we lose sight of what we ought to see. You don't see the things of the Lord anymore. You don't see God's hand working in your life. You know, you're, you're blinded. You become blinded by different aspects of your life. Your eyes of faith, they used to be so strong. And now you can barely see past the the end of your own nose. Boy, you used to have faith. You used to be able to look ahead and say, Like Abraham, my God will provide a lamb. My God will meet the need. You used to have such great eyes of faith. You used to trust God and have a vision for where you wanted your family to go. Where you wanted your life to go. How you wanted to live your life. And now you you just can't see past tomorrow. You're just getting by. You're just treading water. Like, a, like, a, like a, someone out in the water. that can't hardly swim. You're just trying to, trying to keep your head above water. You can't even see the days ahead. Oh, listen. Keep following Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Because He's leading you to a mountaintop. He's leading you to a place where He opens blinded eyes and gives you a vision once again. He opens the, the dumb mouth and causes you to lift up the praises of God and give Him glory that's due His name. He, he causes the lameness to be made whole and calls you to take another step and keep walking and following Jesus and living for Him another day and another day and another day. Oh, listen, is that what you need? I think that's what we all need. We all need to follow him to the mountain. Maybe this is the day you say, God, I want you to lead me to the mountain because I've been playing church way too long. I've been going through the motions and having a Christian smile and a Christian tie and, and, and I've been carrying a big Bible but the reality is I'm dead as a hammer, I'm blind as a bat, I'm lame as, a, as, uh, as eating, I'm lame that I can't walk, I can't do this, I can't put one foot in front of the other, I can't breathe, I can't look, I, I've got all kinds of problems. And Lord, I need the mountaintop. I need you to take me to the mountaintop. It may not be this morning. By the invitation time, we may not be carried up into the mountain and see Jesus in all His glory and Him open our mouths and cause us to walk another day and open our eyes. But the truth of the matter is, let this message so dwell in your heart that you'll pine away and say, God, take me to the mountain. Take this church to the mountaintop. Take this, take my family to the mountain. Let us see you. Let us see you do only what you can. The Lord's Recognition or the Lord's restoration on this mountain. But I want you to see also the Lord's recognition on this mountain. Look at verse number 32. And Jesus called His disciples unto Him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with Me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. I have a problem sometimes I'm going to admit to you this morning at church. I have a problem. I find it is hard to admit for someone who has been divinely called, I believe I've got God's call on my life into the ministry, a divine call into ministry, but this is the truth. I have a hard time recognizing People's needs and having genuine compassion on them. I have too much the mentality of the little league coach. You know, little kid rounds third base and twists his ankle. The coach says, ah, dust his britches off. Ah, you'll be all right. Walk it off, walk it off. Shake it off, suck it up, buttercup. Read a Bible verse and get going. Amen. That's sometimes my mentality. Uh, when people have their problems, and sometimes in my in my heart, I I, I roll my eyes. Good night. I, I I'll be honest with you. I want to be compassion. I want to reach out. I want to feel something when you hurt. But that truth of the matter is, that's not often the case. Sometimes I just gotta fake it. I gotta fake it. When I go to the hospital, I rarely I rarely go to the hospital. I rarely. I'm rarely sick. So when I visit people in the hospital, you know, well, God bless you. I'll be praying for you. We'll we'll see you. Hope you're back in church soon. I, I just, I have a hard time feeling empathy, of our sympathy towards people. I'll be, I'm being honest. You may not want me as your pastor. Y'all vote me with no confidence this evening. And get rid of me as your pastor because I really just sometimes can't have sympathy, empathy, compassion on people. But, Don't, but just don't, I just don't recognize people's needs. But I want you to understand that that is not the case with Jesus. You know, a king sitting on a throne may be austere to the needs of people. Power has so infected his mind that all he can think about is his own power, his own position, his own royalty. And he has no empathy, no sympathy, no compassion on his own people. But that is not Jesus. Jesus has compassion for his people. Notice, first of all, it's an authentic compassion. Because of my problem, I have to pray and ask God constantly to give me genuine compassion. When you bear your problems to me, one of my prayers is not only that God will meet your need, but that God give me the right words to say to help them. God, give me compassion. God, don't let me say, well, just take this Bible verse and read it and you'll be all right." God, help me to reach my arm around them and love them and and cry with them and laugh with them and hug them and do what I can to strengthen them. I have to pray for God to do that. When I go to the funeral home and, I, and I, I, I want to have compassion, I want to empathize with somebody that's lost a, a loved one, I, genuinely, I want to genuinely empathize and sympathize with them. But the reality is, I just have to fake it sometimes. But not so with the Lord Jesus. He has an authentic compassion for you and me. Not just globally, corporately. God, Jesus just doesn't look down on that church and say, "I love that church. I have great compassion on them." He looks at you, my says, "I love you, my I have deep compassion on you. What your needs are, what you need affects me. That's why Jesus is with all care. Of me. He has deep compassion on you and your family." never attain to. I can never reach out and and latch hold of and filter through my own soul and my own mind and ministry and give you. He has more compassion for you than I could ever possibly give. And it's authentic. He has a genuine heart for your needs. And and what you're going through, the word compassion here is a word that, that means to have the bowels yearn. I've seen some pretty horrible things in my, in my life. I, I was uh, flipping through Facebook the other day, and I don't know if you saw it or not, but there was a missionary there. He had his arm around a, a woman that was covered every inch of her body in these enormous warts or some skin problem. I mean, it, it got me in my gut. It hurt me. It hurt me. Oftentimes when when I see the homeless struggling on the street, boy, that man, it gets me. It gets me right down in my stomach. It hurts. That is the kind of compassion that the Lord Jesus has for every need in your life. Every deficiency, every deformity, every problem. He has that kind of desire for, of, of expression for. You know, it's interesting that that uh, the emotion that hurts uh, deep within. You know, it's a, it's interesting that in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had compassion on their sickness. If you go back and read it in Matthew chapter number 14, He had compassion on their sickness. But here in this text, He has compassion on their hunger. Whether you have deficiencies or deformities, Jesus has a real compassion for your name. I, I, one thing we need to learn by this mountaintop, and one thing we need to learn when we go onto the mountaintop, is that Jesus does care. And that's what the devil always likes to try to tell us. Man, you've messed up so bad. You're so lukewarm. You're so far from God right now. The truth of the matter is, He really doesn't care about you. You're so far on the fringe, on the outside, so far from God. That he doesn't care about you. Nothing could be further from the truth. Whether it is a deficiency in your life or a deformity, he is one that genuinely cares about you. Cares about you. In a world in which we have so much of a facade relationship, a passing, you know, passing. Uh, Back and forth Facebook posts with each other. It is, it is, it is of a a a, a facade. Oftentimes, it is just so so surface, and there really is no sense of a deep connection with people, a deep relationship with people. I want you to know that's the only kind of relationship Jesus uh, is an expert in, specializes in. It's a deep compassion. A very deep relationship with who you are and what you need. Jesus has an authentic compassion. Notice also, Jesus has an active compassion. And Notice in verse number 32, He called His disciples into Him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. You know, it's a sad testimony on the part of the disciples that that because of their unbelief, their intent was to send them away. Look at verse number 33. And the disciples said, And we? should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And even in other accounts, we have them saying to Jesus, Jesus, send them away into town so they can get something. Get them out of here. We can't take care of their needs. They're so cold that they... They, they wanted to send them away. They may have pity for them. Man, I'm sorry you don't have anything to eat, but there's a town about 10 miles back. You can probably find some there. I'm so sorry you don't have anything to eat. They, they may empathize. They may sympathize with them in some extent, but they can't do anything about it. They themselves cannot meet the need. Jesus had compassion, true compassion that not only experiences an emotional response deep down in the gut, but also reveals a motivation to respond in action. He had an active compassion. Jesus would not, only, Jesus would not send them away lest they faint in the way. Well, aren't you glad that Jesus knows what you need and how He's going to meet that need? He, in compassion, sees down the road of life. Notice, he said, I'm not going to send them away because I know what's going to happen. They're going to get down the road and all they're fasting, and they're going to faint and fall in the way. I, I saw that this morning and I couldn't believe it. Jesus is saying, I know the road ahead and I know exactly what you need. And I'm not going to let you go from this place. I'm not going to let you continue all Without meeting that need, so you don't faint in the way. You know, oftentimes we're scared to death. I mean, I don't know about you, but in the ministry as a pastor, you've seen—I've seen other lives of pastors who just cast away. They just you know, got out of the ministry and got out of preaching and just got just quit serving the Lord and, and just eventually got out of church and just left the Lord all the I've seen that. I've seen it. I mean, I really see firsthand. And I don't want that to be me. And I'm scared to death. Oh, God, don't let that be me. Don't let that happen to me. Whatever dark valley I'm going through, don't let it hurt me or take me out and make me a castaway. And Jesus is saying in this verse, listen, I know what you need, Ronnie. I know. And I know how to keep you from the ditch down the road. I am going to meet your need right here on the hillside. God will bring the hillside. God will bring mountains just when you need them. Just when you need them. He has compassion on them. He knows what's down the road ahead for them. And Jesus looked at these uh, these people and as one preacher said, I don't want them fainting, I want them feasting. Jesus knows when we need to fast and Jesus knows when we need to feast. And now is not the time to fast. These people need a feasting. I tell you what, Bethany Baptist Church, we're due for a feasting. We're due for a feasting. I feel as though I've been fasting for so long. I feel as though I've been going through a valley, a difficult... Praise God, Jesus brings a word today. If you just keep following me, I'm leading you to a mountain. And I know exactly what you need on that mountain. Here, He has an active compassion. He's going to meet the need so they don't fall out by the way. Jesus knows what we need and has the ability to meet the need, which He proves in the next... Notice, not only do we see the Lord's restoration on the mountain and the Lord's recognition on the mountain. He sees their need, but he also, we see the Lord's resources on the mountain. <laughs> Puts us into the, into the feast part of it. Look at verse 33. The his disciples say unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to feel so great a multitude? And Jesus said unto them, How many loaves have you? And they said, Seven and, and, and a few fi- little fishes. Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fishes, and he gave thanks and broke them and gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude, and they did all eat and were filled. You know, here in our text, when we reach this feast of table, this feast table, I want you to notice that as we've read it, the word "multitude" comes up again and again and again multitude in verse number 30 multitude great multitude verse number 31 the multitude verse number 32 this uh uh the multitude verse number 33 it comes up 35 36 39 again again multitude 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 it means a large group of people this is a big crowd it may not have been the five thousand that were down the valley but there's a here's a a crowd that may well be in more of a dire situation They've been fasting three days. And this is a large crowd on the mountain. 4,000 men, not counting women and and children. This is a big crowd, but thank God we have a big God. A big God who is above and able to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. The disciples called the place a, a, a desert place or a wilderness. A place of desolation. A place without any resources. And yet Jesus saw it as a place of feasting. Hey... Guys, you may see it as a place where there's not a chance in the world that anybody's going to get their needs met. And I want you to know, this is a place of feasting. Boy, that gives me hope. That gives me hope. He may look at my life right now and think, you know, there's, uh, you may look at my life right now and say, Brother Ronnie, there's not much hope for you. But you're stretched thin, spread thin. You're, you're just barely making it and getting by. And I just don't think you're cutting it anymore. I just don't think you'll be able to meet it. And Jesus says, that's a perfect place for me to provide a feast. What What is it says in the Psalms? Can God provide a table in the wilderness? Well, I guess so. He does it right here on a mountainside. He provides a table in the middle of the wilderness. Notice, first of all, we see the fullness of Christ. These disciples only have seven loaves and a few fish. What did they have last time? Do you remember? Children? Do you remember? Any children know. What did they have last time? Let me get some response here from our young people. How many did we have last time? Five loaves and. Amen. The audio won't record the helps, so don't worry about it, guys. Uh, They had five loaves and two fishes. How many have for the 4,000? We just read it, guys. Seven and a few fish. That's all they had. So we're starting out better, though. We're starting out better. We got seven loaves this time and, and. Maybe more than two fish. I don't know a few. What do you think a few is? I think a few is about three or four. I don't know. It's just always me. Two doesn't seem like enough to be a few. And, 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 and five just seems like too much to be a few. So it's right there around three or four to me. they got three or four fishes and seven loaves. That's quite a bit. But you got some appetites here, man. They've been, they've been fasting for three days. Three days with nothing to eat. And so, uh, and so uh, here we, we find the same formulas last time. The disciples say, this is all we got. Jesus said, that's fine, I'll take that. If they didn't give it to Jesus, he wouldn't have, wouldn't have fed nobody. Just like with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes it, puts it in his hands, and he, he sets the people down. He gives thanks, he breaks the loaves, breaks the fishes, and distributes them. And the same result, they're all filled. What that tells us is the same thing is true. No matter if it's 5,000 or 4,000. No matter if it's, no matter if it's 100,000 in your church or 4 in your church. Hey, God can still meet the need. God can still uh, meet the need. Uh, if we're giving what we got, He'll take what we got and use it with His power. And use it and do what only He can do. Alright? Same principle here. Same principle that, uh, that God can meet the needs of all of these people. 4,000, people ca- or 4,000 men, not counting the women and children. We give every man a wife, every, uh, every husband and wife a child. That's uh, it's 12,000 people potentially on the side uh, of this hill. And all of them were fed in that hour. Not only fed, but fed to the hilt. Notice it said, and they did all eat and were filled. They they had everything they need. The, the word "field" there means sufficed. Everybody everybody looked at the next piece of fish and went, "Oh no, I can't." You're talking about three people. I mean, people that have been without food three days. You miss a meal, and half of you turn into like Bigfoot. Amen. I know how you are. You miss one meal and you'll turn into a monster. Man, here, these people have been without food three days. Well, you talk about chowing down. They'll eat more than seven loaves and a few three or four fishes. Man, I probably had. They probably had helpings after helpings uh, to make up for the lost calories that that they've been spending over the last days. And so here we have a great feast, a great multitude of people, are, and a great need. And Jesus is able to meet the need, to suffice them, to get them to say, "I couldn't eat another fish." Oh, oh. I can't eat another piece of bread. That's how full they were. And what did they have over? Look at what he said. In verse number 38, And they did eat and were 4, uh, Oh, excuse me. What was it? Verse number 37. And they all did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. All right, children? Remember last week? How many of you were listening? Children? How many baskets did we have left over last week? Twelve. Ten and two is twelve. Twelve baskets last week. Hey, i got to hand it to our young people. The ones that were answering was in Children's Chapel. So you guys, I appreciate you stepping up and trying to answer. They were twelve. I'm, I'm just ashamed of the other folks. I must, when I said children, they must think I mean all the people in Children's Chapel. But children, the people, listen, how many do they have left over? Twelve. Twelve baskets, alright. This time they had seven baskets. Now remember last time, what did I say that the twelve baskets meant? You don't have to answer that question. The twelve baskets, there's twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles, twelve foundations, twelve doors. It is a picture of God's government. That's what I said last time. I'm not reaching out in the dark. You look through the Bible, the number twelve speaks of God's government, God's order. God's order. He said the feeding of the five thousand. Man, I'm telling you, God's in charge. He says everything in order. He's governing over everything. He governs over your need. We all shouted and praise the Lord last week because of God's governing principle. But it's not seven. Now, twelve is a big number in the Bible. It comes up again and again. But what about seven? Well, seven is just like that. Seven is a very important a number in the Bible. Seven speaks and has the idea, carries the idea. If twelve is government, carries the idea of government. Anytime you find twelve, you'll find God ruling, God's governing, God's uh, God's power, authority. Anytime you find seven, find God's perfection. Perfection. God's perfection. Seven baskets left over. Here, and we'll get to that perfection in a minute. But I want you to see these seven baskets. I'm getting ahead of myself. These seven baskets. Now, we didn't look at it last week, but the basket that they had at the end of the 5,000 was a small basket, like a household basket. Like, uh, for instance, uh, Carrie got a gift the other day, and I saw it in the bathroom this morning, and it had all kinds of shampoos and bottles. And, and you know, women are the only people in the world that need 1,500 different kinds of shampoos to I've never been able to figure it out. They must pick a different flavor for every day of the year uh, that they use for their hair. And, and she's got all of these shampoos and soaps and salts and all kinds of stuff. And they were in this beautiful little wicker small basket. So if we were to imagine the basket of the feeding of the 5,000, we think about think about that, a little small thrown together basket to carry food, kind of like, kind of like a lunchbox, kind of like that kind of basket. Evan's holding up back there. Uh, an Easter basket, you might say and so we think about 12 of those little baskets full of food. That's not the same word in this. This basket, the same word is used in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, I believe. When the apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, right after he got saved, was having to flee Damascus. Do you remember that? He had to leave Damascus as he was going to kill him. And they put him in a basket and lowered him down the wall. Same word. So we're not talking about a basket like this. We're talking about a basket I can jump into. And it's a market basket. People would go to the market to sell their wares. They'd have baskets full of, of wares and things. That's seven, not baskets, but baskets left over. Seven of them. There was far more left over with the feeding of the 4,000 than there were the, 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 the 5,000. It was much more. All these baskets speak to us of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus is not just showing us that He can fill a belly uh, uh, on a hillside. He's showing us who He is. And when we find our sufficiency in Him, we will have plenty of everything that we need. Jesus, the fullness of Christ. If there's one thing that you and I both should desire to have, it is the fullness of Christ in my life. Everything that God has for me, everything that Christ is, I want to know and possess and walk around and hold. The fullness of Christ. The abundance, the satisfaction of Christ. Notice not only the fullness of Christ, but the flawlessness of Christ. Like I said, there were seven. Seven, it speaks of God's God's um, God's perfection. It's a significant number in the Book of Revelation, which we're studying on Wednesday night. We'll soon see that the Lamb had the Lamb of God had seven eyes and seven horns, meaning not that He had so many different eyes and so many, uh, no many so many seven horns, but that He had perfect. Pa- vision, that's what eyes are, vision. Perfect vision could see, you Perfect power horn is a representation of power all through the Bible. Perfect power, perfect vision. Here in these seven baskets we see the perfection of Jesus Christ. Christ is perfect. In, our, uh, in the overarching picture of the bread that Jesus provides, it is a picture of the saving work of Christ. And He is the bread from heaven. He is, the, he is the bread broken for us on the cross. He is the bread of life which gives eternal life to those that reach and possess it and take it for their own. He can supply every need in our lives. Then we can see from the, this feeding that Jesus is perfect for every circumstance. <laughs> he is without flaw. Hebrews 4:15 tells us he is without sin. First Peter 1:19 tells us that he is without spot or, without blemish. It says that uh, Psalms 18:30 says that he is perfect in all his way. We're constantly being reminded of our imperfections and flaws. We're broken by sin bested by the flesh and badgered by Satan. But oh, on this mountain, there is a Christ that is perfect for every need in our lives. Jesus fits every void in your life. He is all you need, as we say time and again. In close, uh, many theologians, liberal theologians, tried to say that, These two accounts are really the same account. I had them tell me that in junior college. I took religion class, New Testament. They tried to tell us, Listen, guys, there's no way that this happened two times in the life of the disciples, even even if it happened once. This is two accounts of the same situation that copiers kind of threw together and made work. This really didn't happen two times. It it happened once. I mean, Surely the disciples didn't need uh, this same lesson twice. Have you ever needed a lesson, the same lesson twice? Yeah, yeah. But they go up and down. They say, oh no, this is the same account uh, that's just spliced in there twice. They're not the same. But the reality is, it's not the same account. Their characteristics are different. Uh, and and, And later on, Jesus Himself, in a discussion with His disciples, you read it in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus emphasizes the difference. He asked the disciples. He said, listen, when I fed the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? And they say 12. And when I fed the 4,000, this is Mark. Look Mark chapter, I don't know, 8 I think. Mark chapter 8. And, and when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets were left over then? Then. And they said seven. And Jesus said, don't you see what I'm trying to teach you? So Jesus even separates them, separates them into two accounts. So this is not the same account Dubbed over in a man centered, man put together gospel. No, this is divine writ. This is holy, holy revelation to us. But although they are two different accounts, they still show us very much the same thing. Whether you're in the valley, Jesus can be your man. Whether, whether, when you're on the valley, Jesus can also call you to a mountain trying to tell you is whether you're in the valley or the mountain Christ can meet your name He is perfect for every need if you're here lost today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ He is perfectly fit For your need of salvation. For your need of forgiveness. If you're here and you're in the valley of depression or depravity or or any other... uh, You're in the valley of the flesh. You're in the valley of problems. You're in the valley of controversy. You're in the valley of storms. I want you to know there's a Christ that can meet your need. There's a feast for us here. A mountaintop feast that we cannot afford to miss let's all stand to our feet as we come to a song of invitation every head bowed and every eye closed if you're here this morning and you've never never really come to faith in jesus christ i want to remind you he is the bread of life the bread sent from heaven the bread broken for us on the cross the bread that is now readily available through his disciples who spread the good news of the gospel all around this earth he is available to you today if you'll come and take and eat any man come to me, I will know no wise cast out. If you'll receive from Christ, if you'll come to Him and find, uh, and find Him as food, and find Him as yourself, and, and find Him as your Savior, He will save you, give you eternal life. Repent and believe the Gospel. Come and know Him. But whatever your need is, whether it be salvation or whether it be supply, whether it be scarcity, whatever your need is, He's able to meet it. Come feast on it. Follow Him. Listen, you may not be able to put one foot in front of the other. You've lost your shout, your smile, your glory a long time ago. You may may not be able to see past your nose. Keep following Jesus because He's taking you to a mountain. He knows what you need. He has compassion. He knows what the road ahead looks like and He's taking you to a mountain. Follow Him. Follow Him this hour. Come down to this altar and say, God, I'm going to keep following you whether I can barely put a step in front of the other God lead me to a mountain I need a mountain Lord Jesus I need a feast on a mountain I need to meet you like I've never met you before I need you to touch me I need you to heal me give me back my shout give me back my strength give me back my ve- my sight oh come to Jesus dear Heavenly Father Lord we love you God I pray the message this morning would speak to all of our hearts as it has mine God, be glorified, save souls, change lives. Father, meet needs. God, take the word of God and break it and multiply it and satisfy the people that are here listening today. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. I'm trusting to the Unseen Hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to Brown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand